1: God gave up His one and only Son. See Him hanging there on that cross. He gave His one and only Son that whoever believeth in Him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. Listen, when you see the cross upon which Jesus died, you need to know that Jesus died for you and that Jesus died for you.
0: Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch, and we're glad you are joining us tonight. The difficult times we live in begs the question, where is God during our most challenging times? We believe the more the world becomes chaotic, the more we need to draw closer to God and learn to trust in Him. The Bible is our source for all things that sustain us as Christians. Philippians 4-7 tells us that we can have the kind of peace that transcends all understanding— even when the world seems to be completely out of control. Over the next 30 minutes, Pastor Dudley Rutherford is going to share a message meant for everyone listening right now. We know it is no accident you are with us tonight, for God orchestrates all things perfectly. So let's join Pastor Dudley right now
1: with tonight's message. So I want to speak to you on the subject of uh, Rizpah. Everybody say Rizpah. Uh, turn to the 10th book. It's the 10th book. Genesis would be 1. Exodus would be 2. Leviticus would be 3. From the very beginning, go 10 books and you'll find 2 Samuel. This story today is one of the most dramatic stories in the entire Bible. But not only is it one of the most dramatic, it's one of the most pathetic stories. David, during this period, is king. Israel has been in a famine for three years. That's a long time to go without food. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. David wants to know why. Why are we suffering? I want you to look at verse 1, 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. During the reign of who? David, there was a famine for three successive years. That's a long time. So David did what he should have done. He sought the face of the Lord. And the Lord said it is on account, if you're asking me why, it's on account of Saul. Now let me take a time out and explain who Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. They, Israel had settled in the land, and uh, all the other nations had kings, and Israel wanted a king, and God kept saying, no, 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 this is a bad idea, you don't want a king. And they said, no, we want a king. So, said, oh, okay, here's your king, King Saul. He was the first king. Saul dies. David becomes the second king. So now David is in charge. There's a famine for three years. David wants to know why are we suffering? He goes to God and says, God, why are we suffering? And God's basically saying, David, this this one's not on you. It's on the guy who served before you, King Saul. And look what it says in verse 1. It is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he, Saul, put the Gibeonites to what? To death. I believe that in the midst of this conversation between David and God that God revealed to David or impressed upon his heart, David, if you want to get rid of this famine in the land, if you want to get rid of this curse, you're going to have to make amends to the Gibeonites. You're going to have to go back and seek restitution. Because look at verse 2. Verse 2 says that the king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now, the Gibeonites were not part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them, but Saul and his zeal for Israel and Judah had tried to annihilate them. Now, look at verse 3. David asked the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? How shall I make, and here's the key word, amends? He's trying to fix the situation. He's not so concerned about the Gibeonites. He's trying to get rid of the famine. Are you with me on that? But he goes and he says, how can I make amends to you so that you will bless the Lord's inheritance? Now the Gibeonites, don't forget they're a little sneaky, they set David up. The Gibeonites in verse 4 answered him, we have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul. And I can just see David going, at least they don't want money. Ah, this is a good thing. He says in verse 4, the Gibeonites said, we have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul or his family nor do we have the right to put anyone in Israel to death and so David's thinking all right all right what do you want so he says at the end of verse four he goes all right if you don't want silver if you don't want gold what is it that you want they answered the king as for the man who destroyed us which was Saul the man who plotted against us which was Saul so that we have been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel here's what we want verse 6 let seven of his male descendants be given to us to be killed and exposed before the Lord at Gibeah which is where Saul was from the Gibeah of Saul the Lord's chosen one now you need to understand that David again was not just dealing with the Gibeonites he was dealing with all of Israel He was dealing with the three years of God's hand of blessing being off of Israel. And at the end of verse 6, David gives them what they wanted. He gives them the seven sons of Saul. Now look at verse 9. Skip down to verse 9. It says that he handed them over to the Gibeonites, who killed and exposed them on a hill before the Lord. All Seven of them fell together. They were put to death during the first days of the harvest, just as the barley harvest was what? Here's this dramatic story. You've got this hill of Gibeah. You've got seven crosses. You've got the seven sons and grandsons of Saul all hanging on those seven crosses. This was a great day for the Gibeonites. They jumped and shouted and hissed and ridiculed and rejoiced and jumped up and down and pranced and danced and cursed. They were so excited because they finally had their day. And when the sun set that day, write this down, all seven of those boys, those male descendants, the sons and grandsons of Saul, were hanging dead on those seven crosses. Now, here's what happened. The sun goes down. There's a little old woman by the name of Rizpah. She's the mother of two of those seven boys. She was a concubine of Saul's. She was part of Saul's harem. She is the mother of two of these seven boys. And when the sun goes down that day, this little old woman called Rizpah, she climbs up on the hill of Gibeah. And when she sees her two boys... She kisses their bloody feet. She weeps hot, bitter tears. She cries uncontrollably. Her heart is broken because there was a rule, a law back in those days for the Gibeonites that if you died uh, like a criminal on a cross, that you could not come down off that cross. Your body had to stay on the cross until the birds of the air had picked your body clean because you did not deserve a burial but all of a sudden the beast of the field start to smell the blood of those seven boys and so as the beast come she gets up with her sackcloth and she begins to wave and jump and shout and scream and yell she fights off the wild beast all night long the next morning when the sun comes up she thinks well finally I can get some rest She takes the sackcloth and she lays it down on the rock. But no, all of a sudden the vultures, the birds of the air by the day begin to come and they encircle those seven boys. And she takes the sackcloth and she gets back up and she yells and she screams and she fights the wild beast by night and the birds of the air by day. Look at verse 10. Let's read what it says. It says, Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth spread it out for herself on a rock. For five months, from the beginning of the harvest to when the rain poured down from the heavens on the bodies, she did not let the birds of the air touch them by day or the wild animals by night. Meanwhile, back at the palace, David is in the palace, someone comes in and says david you remember the woman rizpah part of saul's concubine two of the seven sons are hers and david said yes and they they said to david she's lost her mind what do you mean she's lost her mind that woman has been up there since the beginning of the harvest for five months this little woman has been on the hill of gibeah with a sackcloth fighting off the birds of the air by day and the beasts of the field by night and when david heard that he said take the law off the books Go get those seven boys. And according to verse 11, 12, 13, and 14, guess what they do? The soldiers come and take those boys off those seven crosses and they take them back to where Saul was buried and those boys are buried in the king's cemetery. They're given a royal burial with King Saul. Again, a very, very dramatic story, but here's the point of all this look at the last line of verse 14 the very last line when all this took place god answered the prayer on behalf of the what the land i have one question and the question is why why are you here on this hill there's three different groups of people and i want to ask the same question to all three groups the first group are to the seven sons on the seven crosses I ask you, young men, why? Why are you here on the hill of Gibeah? Why are you hanging on these seven crosses? Now, if their parched lips could talk, if their swollen tongues could talk, they would say to you, the only reason we're here is because our Father sinned we're here because our father sinned we had nothing to do with this and they would be correct I want to take you back to a passage where the ten commandments of God were given to the people of Israel Exodus chapter 20 the very first commandment was thou shalt have no other gods except me commandment number one God said thou shalt have no other gods commandment number two stay with me on this Thou shalt have no graven images. So the the first two commandments, no other gods, no graven images, and worship no one else except me. Those are the first two commandments. Before he ever gives commandment three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, or ten, because really if you get the first two down, the rest of them are all going to fall in place. But after he gives the first two commandments... The Bible says these words in verse 5, Exodus chapter 20, that the sins of the Father will be passed down to the third and fourth what? Generations. That if a man disobeys God, if a man worships any other God, if a man builds an idol in his own life and worships that rather than God, that the sins of that Father will be passed down to the third, fourth, and generation. Yo, preacher, I don't know about that. I don't know if I agree with that generational curse thing you just said there. Well, most of our problems in our culture today are a result of husbands and men and fathers who have chosen to worship other gods. And because we as men are not the godly examples that we're supposed to be, we're seeing a great breakdown in our culture, in our society, from the violence, from the disrespect, from those who are in authority. The breakup of our homes and our marriages can all be tied directly or indirectly to men, fathers, husbands failing to live the way God designed you to live because in the heart of God and in the mind of God, God put the man here to be the spiritual leader in his home, to be the spiritual leader for his spouse, to be the spiritual leader for his children, to be the role model. We emphasize sports and athleticism. We emphasize making money. We emphasize education, which there's nothing wrong with emphasizing those things. Those those things are good. But the problem is we're not emphasizing the one thing that we should be emphasizing, which is to be a godly man, to be a godly father, to be a godly son and a godly daughter. That's what we should be emphasizing. I started to ask myself, where did I learn all these things? How did I learn how to love the church? How did I learn how to love to preach? How did I learn how to love the Bible? Guess where I learned it from? I learned it from my dad. Where where did my dad learn all that? Where did my dad learn how to preach? Where did my dad learn how to love his wife? Where did my dad learn how to love his family? Where did my dad learn to love the Bible? Where did my dad learn to love Jesus? Guess where he learned it from? His dad see it's passed down from generation to generation i always tell that story and people always go well you're lucky that's not the family i come from my dad was missing in action my dad was a drunk and alcoholic in fact the only time i ever heard my dad say anything spiritual was when he was using the Lord's name in vain and swearing. That's the only time I remember my dad talking about God. You're lucky, Pastor. I think to myself, well, you know, I am blessed. I'm not lucky, I'm blessed. That my dad served the Lord, my grandfather saw the Lord, and you're looking at me, I'm just a part of a a third, fourth generation of men who've served God. And I'll tell you this. I always say back to you, if you didn't have a family background like me, why don't you become the first? Yeah. Instead of making excuses, why don't you break the curse? So that one day, one day you walk down here, you give your life to Christ. One day, if, you, if just you as a man today, would say, forget about your background, and today and from this day for the rest of your life, You're going to love the Bible. You're going to love the church. You're going to love Jesus. You're going to love your spouse. You're going to love your children. You're going to emphasize being a godly man, a godly father. One day, guess what? Your children will come. One day, your grandchildren will come. One day, your great-grandchildren, just because you made that decision today, people you don't even know will one day come to Christ because of your decision today. And he gives this word of warning in that verse 5, that anyone who chooses to disobey me and dishonor me and uh, not keep me first and only priority in your life, that there'll be a curse upon the fourth and fifth and generation. And so many of you, when I read that, you thought, well, that seems unfair. That that just doesn't seem right. Well, whenever you read something difficult in the Bible, keep reading because there's other good stuff. And the very next verse, verse 6, says... That if you as a man will love God, if you as a man will obey God, if you will obey the commandments of God, if you'll keep God number one, the Bible says in verse six that God will bless you and he'll show love and blessing to your family line for a thousand generations. So, as a man today, you have a choice to bring a curse upon your generations for three and four generations, or you can make a decision today that will be a blessing for a thousand generations after you. And the only question is this, will you or will you not do what God calls you to do? Look at the seven boys on the seven crosses. Why are they there? They're there because their dad sinned. If Saul had obeyed God and not got full of pride, and thought he didn't need to follow the things of God, those boys would have been alive. So I say to every man in this room, every husband, we've got to learn how to be men of God and to serve God and obey God with all of our heart. Future generations are at stake. Number two, the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites, that little remnant of people that were dancing on the graves of those seven boys, happy and excited. Why are you here on this hill called Gibeah? They'd give you one word. We're here for revenge. That's why we're here. We're here to get even with a man we hated. We're here to get even with the man who lied to us, the man who broke his promises to God before us. And I want everyone here to know that this is one of the worst problems that we have in the entire world, that once we have been mistreated, once we have been wronged, that we are not going to be happy until the score is settled. That's called revenge, bitterness, payback. And it's happening all over the world today. It's thousands of years of just retaliation, one to the other. We have governments retaliating, one government against the other. We spy on them, they spy on us. They bomb us, we bomb them, just retaliation. We have people retaliating one against the other based on the color of my skin. Once I was mistreated, I will retaliate against you, and now they have a feeling they've gotta retaliate back against you. We see that happening. We have children retaliating against their parents. Listen, we're not supposed to retaliate. We're not supposed to take revenge. The Bible says in Romans 12, verse 19, revenge belongs to the Lord. God even said these words, vengeance is mine, I will repay. You say, well, I'm going to get even. Let someone else get even. Let God get even. Let God be God. But when you harbor bitterness and revenge, and unforgiveness in your heart towards anybody for any reason, you are the one that's actually being held captive. Don't be like the Gibeonites. Don't seek revenge. And my third group is just to Rizpah herself. And I have to ask her, why are you here? And you know what the answer is. I'm here because of a mother's love. This hill called Gibeah, these seven boys dying on these seven crosses, and this one little woman up there with her sackcloth fighting off the beast of the field by night and the birds of the air by day, and she does this from the beginning of the harvest till the season of the rains. For five months she does this. You say, Pastor, that is the greatest story I have ever heard. Oh, there's one better than that one. From the hill of Gibeah where those seven boys died... Four miles to the south is another hill called Golgotha. And there aren't seven crosses on that hill, but there's three crosses silhouetted on that hill outside of Jerusalem. And if you were to go to the man in the middle, the one hanging there, there's three boys. If you were to go to the boy in the middle, the Son of God the one hanging there at sunset on Calvary with nails, having been driven through his hands and his feet, and you were to go to him and ask him, why are you here? He would say to you, because of a father's love. God gave up his one and only son. See him hanging there on that cross. He gave his one and only son that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life listen when you see the cross upon which jesus died you need to know that jesus died for you and that jesus died for me
0: in these uncertain times we know as christians there's a great comfort available to us in the form of prayer if you feel the need right now for someone to pray with we have phone counselors standing by ready to take your call our number is easy to dial. It's 888 818 4777. If you are unable to get through on your first try, please be sure to try again. Our phone number again is 888 818 4777. As Christians, we are often faced with trials, sorrows, and struggles of many kinds. Jesus never promised we would be free from tribulation once we become believers. However, God does show us through the wisdom of His Word how to overcome and even rejoice in the difficult times we are experiencing. Some of the most essential keys to a joyful Christian walk are found in the small New Testament book written by James, the brother of Jesus. In his book, Keeping a Smile on Your Faith, Pastor Dudley Rutherford takes you through a study of the book of James and shares the spiritual disciplines necessary to help you persevere as a believer, even during the most challenging times in your life. Pastor W.'s book, Keeping a Smile on Your Faith, can be yours right now for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. Call us right now so we can get this powerful resource into your hands. Our toll-free number is 888-818-4777. You will learn the powerful tools to encourage you in your faith, how to extend Jesus' love to others, and walk with Him daily with a smile. Our number again is 888-818-4777. And when you call, ask for your personal copy of Pastor Dudley's book, Keeping a Smile on Your Faith. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us every weeknight at this same time here on KKLA as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.